Philippians chapter number four, verse number one. You're there, say amen. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. There's some pastors that need to go listen to Paul talk about the church. I beseech you, Eudas, and beseech thee, Sintiki, however you say his name, uh, that they may be of the same mind in the I probably need to learn how to say that because I get mad when people say my name wrong. Uh, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Paul said their name may not be right here, but it's in a better place. <laughs> it's in the book of life, amen. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men that the Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. But everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the peace and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you also are you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. In essence, they had the desire to do so, and they wanted to, they were willing to, they just did not have the opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Uh, everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Let's pray to Heavenly Father. We thank you, Lord, for this evening. Lord, just thank you, Lord, for the sweet fellowship we've had already, Lord. Thank you for the sweet time of prayer and God of worship. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that the song we heard Miss D sing, Lord, it wasn't just a good song to her. God, it's what she believed. And Lord, tonight, I, Lord, I firmly believe that she's home tonight. Lord, she's around your throne, worshiping you for all eternity. And, day I, and Lord, I look forward to the day where we'll be reunited, God. But Lord, I look forward to the day, Lord, that when I have the opportunity, Lord, that which my faith becomes sight and I get to look upon you face to face. Lord, what a day that's gonna be. What a change that's gonna be, Lord. And I just thank you, Lord, for this evening. God, thank you for a, a church to go to church to on a Wednesday night. Lord, thank you, Lord, for a midweek service. God, to get us through, to help us out. God, to encourage us. God, to maybe help us laugh and just have a good time. Lord, to give us that fellowship that, God, you designed us to need. And I ask you, Lord, this evening, God, that you'd meet, meet with us again. Lord, take your word. Make it real to us. Apply it to our life. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We'll give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Uh, Philippians is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Really, you could probably say Genesis to Revelation is my favorite books of the Bible. I like them all. There's something to gain from each and every one of them. But Philippians, uh, when I was in Bible college, one of our teachers explained it this way. Philippians is practical Christian truth, practical Christian living. Uh, it is when you read through it, you can take it and apply it directly as it's written to you. In essence, you don't have to do a great depth study to understand what it's saying there. You can, uh, you can read it and say, all right, this is what I need to do. I need to think on these things that we'll get into in a, different, in a few minutes 
But you got to think, sometimes when you get into like the Old Testament, the, the historical books of the Old Testament, there's great applicable truth. You've just got to see it type and, and, and picture and, and, and that, that kind of uh, focus tonight because me and you, as far as I know, uh, I don't think any of us are going to physically walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. Right? So if we're preparing to do that, then we've taken the, the text in the wrong way. But we can also take that text and be reminded of a, a one day where we did, we were pulled out of the bondage of, of sin in Egypt, so to speak, where God changes. He brought us to an impossible way, and now we get to live this victorious Christian life. And so we can see the type there. But in Philippians, you God, it's, God just lays it out for us through the Apostle Paul uh, of how to live the Christian life. There's practical truth here tonight. But I want you to look at verse number five tonight. It says, let your moderation be known unto all men the Lord is at hand. And now we know tonight that the goal of the Christian life, the goal of every Christian isn't to be like their Sunday school teacher, isn't to be like the preacher, isn't to be like their mom and dad per se. It is to be like the Lord. He is our great example. He is the greatest example that you and I have tonight and we ought to strive to be like him. Why? He is our perfect example. And if we look at the Christ, the life of Christ, Christ lived a balanced life. He lived a perfect life. He lived a life of one of order. How do you know that? The Bible said he did nothing amiss. Everything Christ did was done exactly when it needed to be done. But he also was a man of balance. In essence, we see here that Christ didn't go into every situation and do the same exact thing in every, in every situation because different situations required different actions from the Lord. In essence, what he did at the tomb of Lazarus, he did not do at blind Bartimaeus, right? Blind Bartimaeus was blind. He wasn't dead. Lazarus was dead. And so Christ was a man of balance. He, he was a man of order. He did that which was required. And we know that God is a God of order. God is a God of balance tonight. God does everything right. He is, he, there, there's no unbalance with God. There's no heaviness on one side and lightness on one side. God is perfect balance. We see it in his work. We see it on the grand scale. Think about it this way. If you were to look at the sun tonight and our distance to earth, uh, there were some people that said that if the sun moved an inch, this world would end, and scientists have said, well, that's probably not the case. But if there was a fluctuation in the distance between Earth and the sun tonight, there definitely would be devastating consequences. There, it said if it changed, a 10% change in the distance between the Earth and the sun, if the, Earth, or if the sun got closer to the Earth, our atmosphere would be too hot and the Earth would turn into a greenhouse. You and I would not be able to breathe. You and I would not be able to live. But if it got 10% further away from us, the oceans would freeze over and the water cycle would cease to exist. I'm glad tonight that gravity is not in charge here. God is. I'm glad it's not something man made up. I'm not saying that gravity is made up, but it's not because of Big Bang. There's God holding all this together on the grand scale, yet we see God's balance and control, his order, even on a microscopic level. We look inside of our own bodies. There's so much going on inside of us that you and I probably can't explain in depth and, 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 and with any kind of certainty. I know that I have red blood cells. I know that I have white blood cells. I know that I've got arteries and vessels and I've got blood through and my, flowing through my body. I know my heart pumps it. My, my lungs bring in air. But to be honest with you, if it was up to me, I wouldn't even know how to work my own body to make it work. Yet God controls all that. God balances all that. God maintains all that. And we know anything in our body gets out of whack, out of balance, we instantly know there's something going on. There's an issue there. And yet here's God. He keeps all of this in order, not just on the, the grand scale, but even on the microscopic scale. On the small scale, God is a God of order. But then we're instructed in 1 Corinthians 14.40 that we are to let all things be done decently and in order. 
And so tonight we're looking at this thought of, and he goes on to say in verse number five here of Philippians chapter four, let your moderation be known unto all men. Now, what does the word moderation mean? It means that which is fitting, that which is appropriate. That you, here's the thing about, what, what are you trying to say, Brother Tate? What are you trying to say, preacher? I'm trying to say that you and I can say we're balanced. We can say that we're living a balanced Christian life. We are walking a balanced life like Christ did for us. We can say that, but the reality is that balance is found in an action. Balance is not an announcement, it's an action. You can say all day long, I'm balanced, but if your action said otherwise, I would say you're out of balance. Right, think about it this way. Uh, if you go through one of those DUI checkpoints and they pull you over, they stop you and they say, sir, ma'am, are you drunk? You say, no, I'm not drunk. I, 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 no, no, that would never be me. What's the next thing they're gonna ask you to do? Would you please step outside the car? There's this yellow line right here. All we need you to do is walk down it. And if you're really not, then you have no problem with balance. You'll be able to walk the line exactly how you're supposed to walk it. And so we see tonight that balance isn't necessarily an announcement, but it's an action. And it's an action that ought to be in every Christian's life. And notice here, we see here in verse number five, he said, let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. And we talked about this last week, we talked about running, how we know that our life is but a vapor, but we're to run with patience. The same is true when it comes to being a balanced Christian. There is no time, nor is there any reason where our Christian life should get out of balance for the sake that the Lord is at hand. Right, we think, oh man, Jesus is coming tomorrow. Jesus is, excuse me, Jesus may come tomorrow. All right, <laughs> I don't, no man knows the time nor the hour, all right? But we know that, we know that at any moment the Lord could come and call the church home and so it's a pressing matter but at the same time that is not an excuse for me and you to get our life out of balance. Think, you know, think about it this way when we watch sports or something like that. When it gets close to crunch time when the game's almost over Sometimes in different sports, you, you throw caution to the wind, so to speak. You think about hockey, if you're trying to score in the last few seconds, you will pull your goalie out and put another defensive man, another offensive man in, so you can have a greater opportunity to score. In soccer, you'll bring your goalie up into the box so they can try to hit the ball with their head. And so you, you do, you, you, you kind of throw caution to the wind for the sake of winning. Yet that rule doesn't apply in the Christian life. What are you trying to say, preacher? I'm trying to say, yes, the Lord could come tonight. But yet, that does not mean me and you ought to get our life out of balance, right? There's, there's, I, don't, I don't read anywhere in the scriptures where, yes, the Lord is at hand, but that means I'm to neglect my family. I'm to neglect my relationship with the Lord. I'm to neglect uh, my, my service to the Lord for the sake of the fact that he's coming, right? So we ought to live a life that is balanced. And so tonight, we're looking at this thought of the beauty of balance, the beauty of a balanced Christian life. Which Christians should be balanced? All of them. Every Christian should live a balanced life tonight, even though the Lord is at hand. Why? Let your moderation be known unto all men. Let your moderation be known. In essence, they'll look at you and they'll say, there's something, you have a balance that I don't have because you can't find balance in this world. You can't find balance on a life built on the sinking sands of this world. You can only find balance that is something that's built upon the rock. Like we talked about in Sunday school uh, this past Sunday, in essence, in life, you, everybody that we know uh, that is outside of the grace of God, everybody that we know that, that doesn't know the Lord Savior, they have no idea what balance is, right? They, they, they don't know what that is, and yet, because Christ dwells inside of us, he's a God of order, you and I ought to have a life that is balanced. God designed the Christian life to be a life of balance. And so tonight, we're gonna look at four areas 
that a, a Christian life ought to, a Christian ought to be balanced. Every Christian can see if they are a balanced Christian by seeing that they are right in the following areas. Notice number one, a balanced Christian will have the right prayer life. A balanced Christian will have the right prayer life. Look at verse number six. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. So let me ask you, so how does one know if they have the right prayer life? What does the right prayer life, right before we went into the life of Joseph, a little bit after we've been looking at this idea of prayer, and I guess this will touch on it tonight, but how does one know if they have the right prayer life? Does it last a certain amount of time? How long does the right prayer last? Here's the thing. If you look in the scriptures, there's multiple prayers at multiple lengths. And I believe they're all right. And so we understand, right, there's not a set limit of time. Well, does it contain a certain amount of verbiage or a certain kind of verbiage? Does it have to sound a certain way? Does it have to contain the certain key words, certain phrases, catchphrases, so God can understand uh, who, who, who you're talking to. Does it have to contain certain verbiage? Does it have to take place at a certain location? Boy, I'm glad tonight that you don't, listen, tonight, on Wednesday nights, we don't have to come around the altar to pray. God can hear us from where you're sitting at tonight. But there's just something about it when you and I bow down before the Lord physically, and it helps us to bow down mentally and humble ourselves before the Lord, saying, Lord, you are great, you're the greatest, and I'm coming before you as a humble vessel. And so we know tonight that, but prayer doesn't have to take place in a, a certain kind of location. How many glad if you're a thief on a cross, die, you can cry out to the Lord and he can hear you. You're driving down the road and all of a sudden you realize you're fixing to be in an accident. How many glad God can hear you? So we understand that there's not a certain location, there's not a certain time limit, there's not a certain verbiage that you and I have to say, but a prayer life, a balanced Christian will have the right prayer life. And a lot of times, a lot of that stuff, if we're not careful, turns into competition, right? We'll stand over here and say, well, Bless God, if you had a real Christian prayer life, you would pray at least an hour and 30 minutes a day. Well, if he was really praying humbly, you would only say, thou most high, holy creator. If he was really praying, you'd only pray in your closet. You wouldn't pray nowhere else. But see, the thing, in essence, think about it in the sense of, of, of a, an Olympian on the balance beam, right? What is the goal of the balance beam? To get from one side to the other. Right, you start on this side to get to the other. Well, preacher, why do they do all those flips? Why do they do all those spins and jumps and do all that kind of stuff that if I were to do it, it would be a bad day for me? Why do they do that, preacher? Because they're competing. What they're saying is I can get to the other side with more skill and more flair than you can. And if any time in our Christian life where it becomes a competition, I can do this better than you, we're not doing it right. We are out of balance. And here's the thing about something that's out of balance. If it doesn't get fixed, it'll cause damage. It'll cause damage. Let one of your tires go out of balance and you drive down the road. Listen, you can drive down the road, but you won't be driving for very long. Something will tear loose. Something will fall apart. Think about the little top that you spin, or that they used to spin back in the day. They probably got an app for it now where you could spin that top and you'd watch it and you watch it and you watch it. And sooner or later, it would get out of balance and begin to fall down. So understand or not that balance is crucial because when we're out of balance, things start to fall apart. And see, if your prayer life isn't balanced when it looks like someone else, but it isn't balanced when it looks like someone else's, but when it lines up with the scripture. 
when it lines up with the Lord of God. And here, Philippians chapter four, verse number six, gives us what a balanced prayer life looks like. Look at verse number six. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer. A balanced prayer life is utilized in every situation. A balanced prayer life is utilized in every situation. Now, notice here tonight what the word of God says. It says, but in everything. Now, in your King James Bible, is there a space between those two words? It is not a compound word there. It's not the compound word everything. It is the word every and then the word thing. See, if it was the compound word everything, then that would mean just everything within a certain category, within a certain group. But when you take that and you space it apart and it becomes everything, that literally means every possible thing. Right? And so we understand or not, a balanced prayer life is utilized in every situation. Let me ask you, is there any situation in your life that you, it, it couldn't be improved or it, you couldn't get the, the insight that you need through prayer tonight? Prayer isn't just for certain things, it's for everything. Right? It is for everything in the Christian life. And so you have to ask, is my prayer life balanced? Is it utilized in every situation? Is it utilized in every situation, are there situations tonight that you've dealt with and you've tried to manufacture, you've tried to manipulate, you've tried to fix, but you just ain't prayed about it? And you have to say, well, my prayer life must be out of balance because I'm not utilizing it in every situation. But not only this, a balanced prayer life is utilized in every situation, it removes worry from you. Look at verse number six. Be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing. Now, to me, if I was six, seven years old, that would be my life verse. That means I could do whatever I want to do. I don't have to be careful for nothing. It's not what the Bible's saying there, right? It is not a release to be evil Knievel for the rest of your life. But rather, it is, a, it is a statement that says you and I, when we have a balanced prayer life, worry will be removed from our life. I don't have to live a life of worry. I've brought this situation. I've brought that person. I've brought that problem. I've brought that need. I've brought it to the Lord. I've put it in the hands that can handle it. I've put it in the hands that can fix it. I've given it to the one who said, cast all your cares upon me, for I care for you. And so we realize tonight when you and I have a balanced prayer life, it removes worry from you. So what you're saying, Brother Tate, is I have a balanced prayer life, I'll never worry. That's not what I'm saying tonight. What I'm saying is if you have a balanced prayer life, when worry creeps up in your life, you'll know what to do with it. You'll know where and who to take it to tonight. And so we see that, that a balanced prayer life, when it's utilized in every situation, it removes worry from you. But notice this, it becomes an action of thanksgiving. It becomes an action of thanksgiving. Look at verse number six. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Some will tell you that prayer is holding God accountable to his word. In essence, you need, to take your, you need to take the Bible and remind God what he said. Lord, don't you remember what you said? The Lord ain't forgot what he said. He wrote the book. He holds it above his name. He knows what he said. How many glad tonight that we, when you and I don't know the entirety of God's word, God still holds himself to it. <laughs> Boy, I'm glad tonight. I don't have to go and take it to God and say, God, don't you remember what you said? He's going to say, don't you remember what I said? I will provide every need according to his riches and glory. So we understand that tonight. But when we, you and I have a balanced prayer life, it becomes an action of thanksgiving. 
And I don't know where this came in. I don't know where it snuck in. I don't know how the devil got it into the average day church. But so many people look at prayer like it's a burden. Oh, we got to go pray. Oh, I got to ask the Lord to bless this food right before I eat it. I got to say my bedtime prayers. Oh, it's Wednesday night. You know, we're going to spend 30 minutes taking up prayer requests. <laughs> and then we're going to have to pray after that. Can I say a real prayer life when it's bounced becomes an action of thanksgiving? Because you'll be able to step back and say, thank you, Lord, that I can bring these to you. Thank you, Lord, that I can come boldly before the throne of grace. And so that's not you taking God's word and holding him accountable to it. It is you and I knowing that even when we failed, even when we've done wrong, even when we messed up, we can go boldly before the throne. In essence, we can go there knowing he will not throw us out. He will not cast us out. He will not forsake us. He will not leave us. But rather, he will hear what we have to say. So not a balanced prayer life becomes one of thanksgiving. The best attitude is a grateful one, one of thanksgiving when it comes to prayer life. Let me ask you now, is your prayer life producing the right balance in your life? Do you have a balanced prayer life? Notice number two, a balanced Christian will have the right peace. A balanced Christian will have the right peace. Look at verse number seven. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts in minds through Christ Jesus now, tonight I'm fixing to throw us all into the same boat. Y'all ready? We all have a tendency one way or another to try to find peace from a source that doesn't produce peace. What do you mean by that, preacher? Sometimes, some, sometimes we think, saved by the grace of God, on our way to heaven, headed home one day. We know that tonight, but we all have the tendency, boy, if I could just make a few more dollars. A lot of my problems would be allevi- alleviated. A lot of my issues would be solved. We think greater financial income is the answer Sometimes we turn to physical things. For some, it's drugs. Some, it's alcohol. Some, it's food. Some, it's television. Some, it's the phone. We turn to something to find peace. Right? Y'all kids, don't bother me. I'm doing important things on my phone right now. What are you doing, preacher? I'm on Facebook. I'll open somebody's comments. I'm getting up and I, mean, I ain't commenting in, but I'm involved in the drama. Right, but we turn in there, leave me alone. I, I just need a few minutes to myself to get into some drama real quick. No, in a good way, that ain't gonna bring no peace. I say sometimes I get on Facebook and I get madder than I was to start with. <laughs> sometimes it's not a physical thing. Sometimes it's social acceptance. Well, if my friends would just, the people that I want to be my friends, if they would just be my friends. If they'd let me in their group, if I was elevate, elevated among my peers, if I received the promotion, then I think then I'd have peace. Sometimes even emotional attitudes that we turn to for peace, knowing it's not there. Things like isolation, isolation isolationism. Right? I don't know if it's really a word, and I just sort of, my notes just said isolation. Right? In essence, we remove ourselves from everybody and anything because if I get around, if I have to live life, I'm not going to have no peace. I'm going to be over all by myself. Y'all don't bother me. I'm trying to find peace over here. Right? That's not how you find peace. That's not where peace comes from. Or irrational positivity. Right? I know in everything give thanks, but sometimes you need to sit down and realize the situation requires more than just a smile and more than just a thumbs up. Sometimes it requires things getting corrected, things being repented of, and those things are going to get it right. You can't just say, you know, that positive thinking, preacher. I'm just going to think it and then I'm going to be it. You know how that works for you. I've been trying to think myself skinny for years. Lord, would you please give me a regular-sized head? I'm tired of hats not fitting. Right? Irrational positivity. 
Sometimes you need to be honest with the Lord and say, Lord, things ain't all right right now. Fake peace isn't real peace. It's not. There's only one real source of peace, and that it comes from the Lord. None of those are balanced. Something has to be ignored in order for those to take place or for those to have those moments of withdrawal, but there is no actual peace out of those things tonight. Balanced peace or real peace takes your real situation, applies real truth to it, which produces real peace tonight. One, peace comes from the Lord. It says in the peace of God. There's only one true source of peace, and that is the Lord tonight. This has to be true. Why? He's the only one that is above everything, right? We can't find peace in, in, in things and people because they are not the, the highest power. They are not the greatest. Uh, they are not the king of kings or the Lord of lords. That is only God tonight, and therefore, if he is our source of peace, that means there's nothing greater than him that can override that peace that he gives us. And so we see here tonight that peace comes from the Lord. You might turn to a thing, but what happens when your problem becomes greater than a thing? Can I say sometimes I like to be alone. I like to go and just be by myself where I can just think and I, I, I can just kind of just brainstorm and, and get my thoughts together. But can I say I can't live by myself? It's hard. It would, hard to be, it would hard, it'd be hard to call myself a husband if I was never around my wife. It'd be hard to call myself a good father if I was never around my children. And so I understand tonight that, yes, I may need some moments of, of, of alone time to catch my breath, but I can't live there because that's not where peace comes from. It comes from the Lord tonight. So we see here that, it, one, it comes from the Lord. Two, peace is beyond human construction. Look what it says there in verse number seven. The peace of God which passeth all understanding. It passeth all understanding. Human construct to achieve peace has always failed. Think about it this way, right? Since the 50s, we've been trying to get peace on the Korean Peninsula. Do we have it? No. Oh, preacher, but they're not fighting each other. They're not, they're not you know, doing all that kind of stuff. Well, you just can't walk from South Korea to North Korea, can you? There ain't no peace there. You can try. You won't make it, especially if you go through the DMZ. And so we failed peace off the country, failed attempts to bring peace to our schools. I see, I was eight years old, I think. I was eight years old when Columbine happened. It was out of this world when it happened. No, there was nothing like that before. Nobody ever seen that. And since then, we've passed legislation, we've, we've educated, we've tried this, we've tried that, and it seems like it's just got worse. Why? Human construct has never brought peace. Failed attempts to bring peace to our own nation. Look at the world, look at the country that we're living in nowadays. It is literally those who are over us, in essence, those who are to govern us and those who are to lead us are pitting us one against the other. And so we see tonight that peace doesn't come from man's ability to manufacture it. Really what, what we have when, two, when man tries to produce peace, we just have compromise. Or we'll just put up with each other. We'll pretend uh, that everything's all right. Man's intelligence alone cannot produce peace. It is above our understanding. It's above our understanding. God-given peace is passeth all understanding. But notice this, peace also keeps us balanced. Shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Shall keep your hearts. Real peace keeps you. Real peace comforts you. Real peace helps you. 
Notice the two places that peace affects right here in verse number seven. Your heart and your mind. What is your heart? That's the seat of your emotions. That's who you are. It gives you peace. In your mind, your thoughts are a place of perception. When it comes to our mind. And here's the thing. Those who have emotional outbursts or lack control over their emotions, we say things like, they got a lack, there's a balance. There's something, something's off with them. There's a lack of balance. There's a lack of peace. Those who can only see the bad and the gloom and the doom, you would say there's a lack of balance there. Yes, is, is God going to judge us? Of course he is. That's what the word of God said. We know that tonight. We also know that hell is a real place. But at the same time, as, as real as hell is tonight, we know heaven is as well. And as real as hell is, we know Calvary is real as well. Yes, there is a, there is a, a negative side in the, the aspect of the gospel tonight, but there is a whole lot more on the positive side. That brings peace into our life. Peace keeps us balanced. I think if you look at a church and if there's peace in the church, you could say that's a balanced church. And if you look at someone's life and you'll say, man, they have peace. They're going through a lot, a great affliction, a great trial, a great problem, and yet they still have peace. There is a balance there that only God can give through peace. Let me ask you this evening, has, peace, has the peace of God brought balance to your life? Are you walking and living and functioning under and with the peace of God tonight? Has it created balance in your life? A balanced Christian will have the right peace. A balanced Christian will have the right prayer life. Notice this, number three, a balanced Christian will have the right ponderings. The right ponderings. Thank God for alliteration. <laughs> Look at verse number eight. Finally, finally, Paul said, brethren, what so, he ain't talking to a lost and dying world. He ain't talking to those outside of the grace of God. He ain't talking to those who are not part of the church, the bride of Christ. He's talking to believers. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Why did Paul not address that to the world? Because there ain't no truth out there outside of the gospel. There ain't nothing lovely out in the world outside of Jesus. There ain't nothing honest outside of the Lord tonight. But those of us who are in Christ know all this. But if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves thinking on the same things that everybody else is thinking on instead of what we're supposed to be thinking on, what we're supposed to be pondering on. And here's the thing. This point goes hand in hand with the previous point. If God has produced peace in our life, then we know where the peace comes from. Therefore, we ought to think on the one who gives us peace. Thinking before action can sometimes be a double-sided sword, right? I'd be one of those, I'd definitely, I'd never say just, just do it, right? Just go for it without thinking about it, right? Bible teaches to count the cost. The Bible teaches that no man goes to war without counting up the, what, what would be needed, what might be lost. We understand that tonight. No man builds a house without taking up the cost. Understand that tonight. But sometimes that can be a double-sided sword. Right? Sometimes we can sit down and we can say, well, well here's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to think about the possibility, the possible problems that I might run into, and at the same time now I've got those brainstormed, and now I've got an idea, a plan to go forward, even if there might be some problems to arise. But sometimes all we can think about is the problems. And we'll say, well, there's no way I can overcome that. There's no way I can do that. And, we, and it's not because we don't have the ability nor the means or nor the, even the authority to do so. Now all of a sudden our thought life our ponderings have said, there's no way I can do this. It's not possible. Therefore, I'm going to give up on it. What we think about will control what we do. What we think about will control what we do tonight. 
If we always focus on the negative, we will not do anything. There's no progression. There's no growth. Why would I even try? No, I can't do those things. And if all we think about is dreams, right? We, we live in dreamland. We live in dream world. Uh, we, won't, we won't do anything. No actuality, no growth. Can I say that there's a lot of times where I like to sit and think, man, if the church grew, you know, and we had to build a new building, where would we put it? Where, where, where would we put the new building at? What would it look like? If we could do something about it, what would that do? That's great. That's wonderful, right, to sit there and dream about that. But there's times and situations where if I don't remove myself from that, I can't help in the present situation, right? Because my dream for the church building isn't going to help at a graveside service. My dream for what to do back there isn't going to help for a family falling apart. Preacher, what you pray for us, we're struggling in our marriage. Y'all, let me tell you about the playground, playground I like to build real quick. Right? It don't help nobody. And so there's got to be a balance there in our thought life. And here he tells us in verse number eight what to think on. Right? What to think on. Oh, preacher, I just know what to think on. Start in verse number eight. When you get done, start all over again. It'll, it'll occupy your thought life. Look at verse 8. What are we told to think on whatsoever is true? Things that are without falsehood, things that are without uh, uh, misleading uh, ideas. What is the one thing we know to be true tonight? The Word of God. Right? You'll never go wrong meditating on the Word of God. What, hath, what has God said about the situation? What has God said about me? What does God want me to do according to His Word? Think on things that are true. Think on things that are honest. Things that are venerable. Things that are um, what's the other word? honorable tonight. The works of Christ. I, I challenge you to go watch Christ's work and tell me anything he did wrong. Anything he did out of dishonesty. You won't find a thing. But you'll sit there and say, man, he did that for me. And you think about the works of Christ. They're honest. They're venerable. They're honorable. Things that are just. That which is righteous. That which is without fault. You ever stopped and thought about the character of God? He's holy. He's just. And yet, with all of his righteousness... Boy, he gives the time of day to somebody like me. Boy, think about that for a little bit. Things that are just, things that are pure. They're pure of carnality. The flesh has been removed. Think about the leading of the Holy Spirit. He'll lead you to all truth. He'll give you those pure thoughts, things that are lovely, acceptable, pleasing. Boy, think about the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. The greatest act of love that man has ever known. Things that are of good report. Things that sound well, not because they are said well, but because they are well. Things that, are, things that sound well, Proverbs 25, 25, as cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. I mean, glad tonight we have some things, that sound, things like this. I'm just a pilgrim passing through. This world is not my home. There is a land that is fairer than day. And tonight, not only this is the song, we can go to the word of God. We can read the book of Revelation. We're gathered around the throne of God, worshiping him for all of eternity. And we go and read the word of God, read us all the promises of God are yea. That sounds good to me. Give me a good report. Give me something that sounds well. Then notice this, then the identifying statements there at the verse, end of verse number eight. Any virtue and any praise, if it prompts you to good works, think on it. If it prompts you to praise the Lord, think on it. Right, so we're instructed if we're gonna be a balanced Christian, we have to have the proper ponderings. To think on that which the Lord has taught us and told us to think on tonight. Would you say that your thought life is balanced according to the word of God? Do you find yourself thinking on these uh, six, eight things here in verse number eight? Or do we find ourselves consumed thinking about things that we can't fix? Thinking about things we can't solve? 
thinking about things that have no earthly good or no heavenly good to them as well. And if we're constantly, that's all we're thinking, our thought life is out of balance. We need to be thinking the way the Bible tells us, and oftentimes we think, when we think balance, we have to take the good with the bad, right? And so in essence, if I'm going to be a balanced Christian, I've got to have good thoughts, and then I've got to have bad thoughts. The good's got to equal out. That's not how it works. A balanced Christian life, a balanced thought life, is one that lines up with the word of God. And so we see here tonight that a balanced Christian will have the right ponderings. Then notice number four tonight, we're just about done. The balanced, as Paul would say, finally. The balanced Christian will have the right perception. The balanced Christian will have the right perception. Look at verse number 11 tonight. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. A balanced Christian will be content. A balanced Christian will be content. One of the greatest words you'll ever learn in your Christian life is the word contentment. Being thankful for that which God has given you. Let me ask you this way tonight. Has God given you enough? Yeah. Salvation himself is enough. And yet he blesses us beyond that and more. And he gives us great blessings on top of that. But the, one of the greatest words you ever learn in your Christian life is well, learn to be content. I'm not talking about being complacent. Right? Contentment and complacent are two different things. Contentment is saying the Lord has been good to me. Complacent says I ain't doing nothing. Nor is compromise content. Well, I'm content, so I'm just going to let them do whatever they want to do. No, that's not right. right? We, yes, we're content, but at the same time, we're called to tell and stand upon the truth. So we see tonight that a balanced Christian will have the right perception. They'll be content. And so like Lego blocks building on one top of another, bricks building on top of, stacked on top of each other, so does truth build upon the balance of the Christian life. Peace brings proper, proper ponderings. Proper ponderings bring right perception. The right perception of a peaceful Christian sounds like this. The Lord is enough. Nothing added to it, nothing taken away. The Lord is enough. Here's the thing. If he's not enough, I can't help you. You can't be helped. The Lord has to be enough. The situation doesn't balance the Christian, but rather the balanced Christian knows how to face each situation. And so we see here that Paul talks about these different situations, abounding, abased, and need, having great, and having all, he talks about these opposites one way or the other, and a balanced Christian deals both of those with the same idea, I'm content. Whether I have great amounts of stuff or whether I live my life paycheck to paycheck, the Lord is enough. The Lord is enough. And so the situation doesn't balance the Christian. In essence, it is not a, well, I've had three good times this year, and so I'm going to have to have three bad times. And then we get four bad times. We say, all right, Lord, what's up with this? How come I've got more bad times and I've got more good times? The situation does not dictate the contentment of a Christian. But rather, whose the Christian is, we are Christ, dictates our contentment. And that I am the Lord's, and the Lord is mine, and that's enough. Now, just face them. But it's not just facing them, but it's learning to thrive in them. A lot of Christians you meet now, they're surviving. We're surviving. We're, we're barely making it through. We're, we're doggy paddling in the Atlantic Ocean called life. We're saying, look at us. We're living the Christian life. <laughs> no, we're, we're barely floating by we're barely making it through. But notice what he says right here uh, in verse number 12. I know both to be base. I know how to abound. 
Then he goes on to say, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. But then Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, therefore my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as we know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The Christian life isn't one where we just survive, right? We're, 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 we're barely just, we're, we're slashing through the jungle just trying our best to make it through. It was one of abounding in Christ. Being content in Christ and knowing that Christ is enough and allowing that truth, not just to sound good to us, but allowing that truth to, 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 to give us the proper perspective, perception to each situation that we're in. You cannot live the Christian life on situational truth. You have to live it off absolute truth. In essence, you can't let the situation dictate what you're going to say and what you're going to do. You have to let truth dictate how you're going to handle every situation. So we have to live with the proper perception. The Lord is enough. Preacher, I gave you a million, someone gave you a million dollars. I said, I said, I like one of y'all is going to have a million dollars on you. Amen. I know y'all well enough. Amen. Some of y'all, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> someone comes up and says, Preacher, here's a, here's a million dollars. The Lord is enough. Come over here. <laughs> One of the 87,000 IRS agents they just hired. Mr. Wagner, we're auditing you. The Lord is enough. Right? So no matter what the situation is, we have to live with this proper, proper perception. One, the Lord is enough. And the Lord takes count of what I do. The Lord doesn't miss. The Lord doesn't overlook. The Lord doesn't forget. The Lord knows what we're doing for him. We all want to be the, the first option, right? We always want to abound. We always want to have the good stuff and, and the great blessings, but at the same time, we know that we're going to spend some time in the other option as well. And yet the Lord is enough for both of those. We have to be reminded our labor is not in vain tonight. Why? The Lord is enough. Let me ask you, does your perception of where the Lord has you cause you to lose balance or find balance? Where you are right now, has it rocked you off balance? Why is that the case? When we know the Lord is enough. The Lord, that's not just something we say because it sounds good, it's the truth. The Lord is enough. The Lord is enough in the cancer ward. The Lord is enough in bankruptcy. The Lord is enough in the family situations. The Lord is enough in broken situations. The Lord is enough, he is enough tonight. And if I live every life, every day knowing the Lord is enough, it'll help me with my perception. Does your perception of where the Lord has you, cause you to lose balance or find balance. A balanced Christian will be right in all these areas. Preacher, ain't no way. There ain't no way I can be right in all those areas. That's just too much, preacher. I, there ain't no way I can. I'm, I'm, preacher, I'm just gonna live the rest of my life out of balance. I'm sorry for you. We don't have to be that way. How do you know, preacher? Because the word of God says so in verse number 13. Long before Tim Tebow wrote it down, Paul did. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. Through Christ, you and I can live a balanced Christian life. And a balanced Christian life is a beautiful Christian life. It's the Christian life that God designed for you and I to live. Why? The Lord is nigh. The, Lord, the, the day the Lord is at hand, the Lord is nigh. What it says in verse, the Lord is at hand tonight. You know what the world needs to see? They've seen enough personality. They've seen enough show. They've seen enough emotional pleas. They need to see Christians who are balanced, who are balanced in their prayer life, 
who are balanced in their perceptions, who are balanced in their ponderings, who are balanced in their peace. If the world has any hope, they need to see balanced Christians tonight. Preacher, can we do that? I can do all things. You and I can be balanced Christians tonight and be Christians that make a difference. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you.